This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we review and preview the week's business and market news. And this week I'm joined by Oanda Senior Market Analyst Alfonso Esparza in Toronto. How are you doing, Alfonso? Hello, Johnny. Happy to be here. Great to hear you again. Let's first reflect on those latest U.S. jobs figures. And the big headline is that unemployment has fallen to a 50-year low, just 3.5%. Do these figures, do you think, ease worries about a possible recession in the United States? In the grand scheme of things, they don't really change a lot. So what we've seen, especially this week, is a definite slowdown in the U.S. economy. And that has, has already put the Fed on alert. So if there was any doubt about uh, October rate cut, now there's no doubt. I, I think it's coming. And the U.S. employment has always been very solid. So it's very, really hard to read any of the tea leaves in, in the NFP because it's, it's been very solid. Even an improvement in, in the unemployment rate is, will not be enough to deter the Fed or even sort of those recession fears at bay. I mean, it, the big story is always going to be the U.S.-China trade war. And so far, with uh, China having a holiday this week, no good or bad news leaked out. So we're all waiting for next week when, when the, two, mm, the two teams will meet again and we'll be, know a bit more. And that's probably a more of a catalyst than the NFP this week. Analyzing those figures a little bit more closely, Alfonso, um, we note that manufacturing jobs are down. Is that directly because of these tariff wars? Oh yes, definitely. And and we and, and we don't have not seen it in the U.S. We've seen it across the board. We've seen it in Europe, Japan, China, even. It's it's the prolonged trade war. It's it's been something that uh, usually trade wars are sort of short-term to try to put pressure on the other economy to agree to something. Right now, it's been going on for almost two years, and there's no end in sight. So we've been close, and uh, now maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, the United States signed a limited agreement with Japan, and maybe that's going to be the template used with China. So what does it mean limited? It means that the most contentious issues are left off. So everything that they both agree on, agriculture, and and then things like that, even technology in some cases, but uh, things like uh, IP gets off just because of the contention and even, again, trying to get into the sovereign, uh, changing their, their IP rules in China, all that gets off for the time being. So you, you end up with a limited agreement that everybody can live with for the time being. And you're saying that it's nailed on, that interest rates are going to be cut. Um, if, for instance, the wage growth uh, which we've seen had been unchanged, is unchanged, had gone up. Do you think those would have affected the figures in terms of a cut in rates, or does that not make any difference at all at the moment? Um, it would have been. It would have to have been a massive gain, and we've not seen that. We've seen sort of a, a recovery for sure. The wages are, are better, but not enough to deter the Fed. Right now, the Fed is looking more uh, at the downside coming from geopolitical headwinds. Some of them cost internally, but they're headwinds nonetheless. So the Fed has to deal with that in, in the short term. 
and wages recover kind of on a mid to long term uh, cycle. So right now the Fed is really focused on what's happening with the outside markets. And it's it's all mo- mostly because of that that a rate cut will happen. Do you think the importance of these U.S. jobs figures is a bit overstated these days? Because it doesn't seem to really make a lot of difference as to what happens. Uh, they go up a bit, they go down a bit, they're pretty consistent. Uh, and we're, we're, of course, at this 50-year low as well. And th- the more we speak about this with either Craig Earlham in London or you in Toronto, it doesn't seem to make much difference these days. Is there too much in these non-farm payroll figures nowadays? I, I agree with that take. I, I think that there were, they are and still are called, the NFP is the, <clears throat> the most important indicator in the market. So we have people just zeroing in on what's going to happen. But in this recovery after the crisis in particular, we've seen that jobs recovered faster and there were a, a very solid economic pillar. And as such, they do tell a story and its importance for like how the markets value assets. But at this point in time, they're not the most important factor. I think right now, uh, geopolitics have, have definitely taken the stage and something that's more forward looking it's actually like PMIs that has actually displaced them a little bit just because it's a it's a look at the month behind. And for the most part, they've been solid. So it, it is kind of a, a, a weird moment that we're finding ourselves into because we're going into a recession with very strong job markets across the board in the developed economies. So that is not something that uh, that you see normally. So that that has uh, reduced the importance of NFP in, in today's world. And also we're seeing quite a lot of occasions where the actual numbers are revised. We've seen that again this month. The August numbers have been revised upwards. So they're not that reliable either. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always going to be uh, uh, just rec- data collection and that that uh, scale is always going to be prone to errors. So we've seen that there's uh, weather effects. It, there's like data collection doesn't get done properly. So it's it's been minimal for what it is. And but the story it tells, it's starting to be less important just because it's always been the same story. So uh, solid jobs uh, numbers, the unemployment rate at decades low and still struggling to get wages going. So with that, the Fed doesn't really change anything that is going to do going forward because it's going to be it's not enough to to stop the Fed with inflationary pressure. And it's actually not even going to urge it to jump in faster because there's uh, a high unemployment rate. So in in terms of its mandate, the Fed is satisfied, but it's macroeconomics where it's actually uh, the focus. It's funny, if I look back 20 or 30 years, and I'm old enough to be able to do that, Alfonso, if you were to say 20 or 30 years ago, we'd be looking at uh, very low inflation figures, high employment uh, low interest rates, everybody would see that as massively positive. We had so many problems in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, nowadays, um, these figures uh, are, are frowned upon, but actually, uh, we've come a long way since those 25, 30 years ago, heady days. Oh, for sure. I mean, we've seen uh, the way better levels of like reducing poverty around the world like it, it's it's been a sort of a global phenomenon and it's i think we are a generation that's better off from what happened the, the lessons of the past were learned but now there's different things i mean uh, i think politics at this point in time is trying to hearken back to those days but the the macroeconomics don't really 
go together. So we cannot have like sort of the political landscape that we have 30 years ago with today's economics. I mm-hmm. think everything has to move forward. And maybe in this time, uh, the politics just has to catch up to the economic realities. Well, maybe the actual figures don't really reflect um, inverted commas real people, uh, which is why we've seen people like Trump and uh, aspects like Brexit do so well in recent years. Uh, the markets would suggest growth, uh, low uh, unemployment, etc. But on the ground, many people feel left behind. Well, I, I think you nailed it. I think it's it's all down to inequality. I think, uh, I mean, before we've also we've all had inequality. That's that's something that is really hard to uh, live with or to try to eradicate because it's always going to be differences. But what we've seen so far is like the now the the wealth has been unequally distribute and the there's there are trading opportunities there are uh, investment opportunities around the board but they're they're being given to a select few that have the capacity to make those opportunities uh, real so i think that uh, the haves and the have nots it's based on a lot of factors that are, are not getting better and that is actually what's getting people more um politically involved or politically enraged in some cases. So, and, and politicians are using that to their advantage. We're going to look ahead to next week uh, shortly, Alfonso. But uh, staying with uh, the trade wars, as you said, China has been in holiday season. What happens next week in terms of the ongoing dispute between the United States and China? Well, for one, they they meet a team in Washington that are a bit more under fire uh, by what's happening with the presidential impeachment process. So that will have an effect. Uh, either China can wait out and see where it shakes and then deal either with Trump again or with a, a democratic uh, president. So that is still on the cards. It's, it's not that far away. What's going to happen this week is they're going to meet. They're going to just try to get back to square one in some issues. It's like, so what is your final uh, answer on this? Is this really, you really want to push us in on this issue versus others? And probably from this, create the template to a limited agreement. So this week is important uh, in what they say to the press, in what the back room starts saying. And because of the political pressure in Washington, they are actually, it's in the best interest of the Trump administration to announce a limited agreement sooner rather than later. Okay, let's switch sides and move to the United Kingdom and the British government's finally submitted its Brexit plan to the EU. Uh, A lukewarm response, shall we say, so far. It's not getting much warmer either. How do markets on your side of the Atlantic view what's happening over here at the moment? Um, I mean, the timing is terrible. Like, uh, the the, the timing is just, again, when when it was announced October 31st, like, not not, not sort of the happiest uh, date that could be selected. And as the snap elections came and went, maybe... Uh, we've saw, we've seen the uh, prime minister may step down. Uh, it all kind of has soured a bit of, of the uh, Brexit surf sentiment, and we really don't know what to expect. I think there's goodwill on both sides, and a deal would would like to be agreed to by both sides. But it's the final stretch, and we're still sort of dealing with like like uh, it was like two years ago. We're still sort of like the yeah, well, there's a. Uh, very bureaucratic process of submitting the documents, seeing if they like the deal. Well, we said no agreements, and then they send it back. So that's back and forth. It's really, uh, I mean, I think, uh, or we all thought that the time for that had already passed. So 
just a change in prime minister sort of reset the talks a bit. But we're we're really at a time where like it, the both teams are running out of time, and there's no really end in sight. So it it's going to be uh, in in our opinion, it's it's going to be catastrophic. It's if the U, the UK leaves with no deal for both the EQ and the EU, like both really that that's uh, that's a really good co- uh, commercial relationship that got on the white side by way of politics. So for us, it's that that's sort of the worst case scenario. We've seen some approaches that uh, the probabilities of a of a of a deal, let alone if it's good or bad, uh, if that is possible, then we could see uh, the the exit. Uh, as, as as having less of a negative impact on both economies. I'm pleased to hear that you think there is goodwill on both sides, Alfonso. Um, I, I'm not sure about that. I'm I'm wondering whether they're just going through the motions. Um, on the one hand, one could say that the EU don't really expect a no deal scenario because they believe that Boris Johnson is going to be forced into extending uh, the deadline. So no deal isn't really a genuine threat. So they're not really necessarily taking uh, his new plan that seriously. And on the other side, you could say, well, Boris Johnson has no intention of going through with this current deal because he thinks it's not going to get passed by the EU anyway. What was interesting, though, in Parliament yesterday was the fact that the right wing of the Conservative Party have warmed uh, to this uh, new deal, in inverted commas, and... What Theresa May couldn't do across all those months, Boris Johnson's managed to do in a matter of weeks. He's managed to get the, you know, the right wing of the Conservative Party on his side, as well as the DUP, which was, you know, one of the major problems in getting this signed off. Unfortunately, the EU have moved further towards a, a different scenario, and it doesn't matter whether Boris Johnson can get it through Parliament or not, because he might not have a deal to actually put to parliament in the first place um, yes I mean, it was always going to be very hard to that type of uh, sort of gambling in politics and those postures that kept changing i think the deadline is a terrible motivator like you if they they really using the october 31st deadline as just come on like you have to act and uh, but only show your cards until this date so the fact that everybody's still holding their cards very close to their chest and just now starting to be a little peak to, for everybody to look at, it might it might be too late. Well, they're and saying they it, they have to actually submit uh, a, a proper proposal, maybe nuance the current deal, the new deal, by next Friday. Yeah, uh, there's not enough time. Okay, you're pretty pessimistic then, uh, and as are a lot of people on this side of the Atlantic. Although perhaps if the EU genuinely thinks there is a threat of no deal, they might actually go through and uh, come to some agreement with uh, with the Conservative uh, Party, Boris Johnson and all. Um, we'll have to wait and see uh, and speak to Craig about that next Friday. Let's look ahead to next week, Alfonso. What should we be looking out for? In terms of uh, economic calendar, is there's not a lot uh, in there. Uh, it, U.S. inflation would probably be the biggest one, but as I said before, the Fed has already made up its mind for this month. I mean, we've seen sort of the deterioration of U.S. growth. Uh, the only sort of major uh, events in, are, are going to be in Washington. So it's going to be the Chinese delegation visit. So all that trade talk, it's going to be really important. And also how the impeachment proceedings go and what what else comes out because this is some this is a story that just keeps on giving, and if, even though it, it it hasn't had like a huge macroeconomic impact, uh, it's still sort of on the wings because uh, 
the uncertainty in the market, it, that's something that don't really go together. So the, the more we don't know when it starts coming out, the, it, that's going to be a sort of a negative effect on the dollar if it leads to uh, maybe not impeachment, but it, it could actually deflate uh, the chances of Trump being reelected for 2020. Okay, Alfonso, thanks very much for joining us today. We look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you, Johnny. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.